Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Ben Swindells, Expansion Director for the fast-growing co-working innovators Hucketree. Coming up on today's show, Ben gives Phil some advice for the podcast. Be yourself. Don't be scared and you know a lot more than you actually give yourself credit for. Phil gets off to a shocking start. Welcome Ben Swindles. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, Swindles. And we learn that there's an outside chance that Ben lives near the sea. Very similar mindset. It's all about... All that and so much more as Ben talks us through his story and journey to date, as well as some excellent content on finding your calling in your career. In addition, don't forget to get yourselves behind Hospitality Aid 2020, a Live Aid-style virtual concert packed with performing talent from the hospitality industry and raising valuable funds for hospitality action. Get that calendar marked, August 31st, 4pm, British Summertime. Head over to experience101.co.uk for more information. Don't forget to give us a like and a share so we can share those stories. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the next edition of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today, we welcome Ben Swindles. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, Swindles, but yeah, we'll take Swindles. Swindles. Yeah. Yeah. Ben's got one of the best job titles I think I've ever come across. Uh, He's the expansion director at Huckletree, which is a fast-growing, flexible co-working business with sites currently in London, Manchester, Dublin and Oslo, I think. That's right. And I'm sure there's more markets to come, should the market allow for it. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. How are you doing today? Yeah, really good. Thanks. Really good. Yeah. Is it hot with you? It is. It's a bit warm down in Sussex today. I'm, I'm based from home, but uh, it, it's very warm and muggy today. And uh, yeah, the, the spare room's got up to 27 degrees, so I'm trying to air it out as best I can while on the call. Yeah. I, think I talked about this on a previous episode. I have a, my third bedroom is basically my studio in my house, and uh, I'm in Essex. And it's, again, yeah, like you, it's about 27, 28 degrees. No fans on because I don't want any extra noise. It's a bit sweaty. Yeah, well, I've just had to close the big windows because they've just decided to cut paving slabs opposite the house. So uh, I'm trying to keep the noise to a minimum. Great. We'll we'll do this in 15 minutes then, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Well, thanks for, for coming on the show. Maybe you could just kick things off by, well, let's go all the way back to the beginning of your career. Yeah. Talk us through how you got into to hospitality and how it kind of well, spanned out from there. Sure. I mean, I suppose my journey into hospitality started at a very, very young age. My dad has worked in hotels pretty much my entire life. He's ex-Hilton and ex-Park Plaza. So I was exposed to, to hotels at a very, very young age and always been surrounded by by hotels. So it's it's something that's probably become quite in- inherent in my um, in my day-to-day and I've always understood and been quite passionate about hotels and hospitality so yeah I, I went through my school career and because I'd, I'd, I'd seen hotels and they were always pretty much uh, in our day-to-day lives it was it was never really something I considered as a job right I remember as a kid always saying to my dad actually I don't want to work in hotels when I grow up and yeah, I, I, my first job, I, I worked in maintenance during the summers of, of when I was at school, just, just helping out, you know, cleaning chandeliers and doing a bit of painting in the corridors. And I suppose I, I saw a different side, I suppose, when you're, you're with your dad and you're seeing the, the, the nicer side, the public facing side, you see all the warm and fluffy stuff. You don't see the, the nuts and bolts in the engine room of what actually goes into a hotel. So when when I started working in maintenance, you really got exposed to actually what what goes behind the, the day-to-day operations. Yeah. And that really, uh, I suppose, gave me uh, a newfound passion for hotels. So from there, I, I then started working in a health club in a hotel down in Brighton. And yeah, when I was finishing my A-levels, I applied to do hospitality management at, uh, at Brighton University. So did that course for a couple of years, really, really enjoyed it and actually went back to the Brighton Met for Hilton and where I was working in the leisure club and started working there as a full-time duty manager. So straight, fresh out of university, 
looking after a 335 bedroom hotel with 20 plus meeting rooms, banqueting for up to a thousand people. They'd sort of given the keys to this young sort of 22 year old fresh faced boy out of university, which was a, <laughs> yeah, a bit of a baptism of fire, I suppose, but was yeah. also a super, I suppose, a, a really good grounding and, and a really, really good first year in the industry because I suppose as, as duty manager, you're the, you're the sort of go-to troubleshooter. You get exposed to all the different departments in a hotel and you're having to think on your feet and, you know, use your, I suppose you use your common sense, but also use all the tools and levers that you've got in your toolbox to try and resolve any issues that happen on, on a day-to-day basis. So, yeah, that was a really, really good first year straight out of uni. And then from there, I I really enjoyed the event side of the business. So I moved into events and, and started, started as events manager uh, again at the Brighton Met at the Hilton there. I've worked in the events department for about two, two and a half years, organising all different types of events, anything from a from a boardroom for people up to the, the largest event I, I hosted was, I think, two and a half thousand people for annual Alcohol Anonymous conference. Really? Uh, yeah, down in Brighton. So that was that was the biggest event. They used to do a, a big, it was January, funny enough. So I think that's probably when everyone sort of, wanted to get together after uh, a busy oh, Christmas. Yeah. More um, yeah. So yeah, it was about two and a half thousand people, I think, over three or four days. I think it's a long weekend. That's uh, historically a poor time of year for events as well, isn't it? So that, mm. that would have been a cracking piece of business to have. Yeah, really good. So yeah, I really enjoyed doing that. And it did that did that role for about three years. And then... I then moved over to Intercontinental Hotels and moved into a, a centralised ops role, working with a guy called Peter Hales and, and Christopher Rawstrom, who was who was VP of Ops, and Peter was the the AGM at the time, and I was helping out on the, the southeast region. So that was everything all the way up to sort of the basically anything south of Watford and all in London and the southeast. So there's 19 properties within that sort of portfolio. And I was really doing, looking at how we could troubleshoot and fix any issues in certain properties. So I was a bit of a project manager at that point in time, helping uh, the GMs and the ops managers in those certain locations with any need in their hotels. Then also looking at the, the group as a whole and leading some projects there. So we, we, we ended up introducing a like a productivity rotoring system across the whole 65 hotels for IHG at that point in time, which I led. There's also an introduction to, for a uh, food and beverage concept, which was using basically like dual induction ovens. So it's a more sort of like reduced kitchen operations project, which we rolled out in 16 properties. So, so that was a really exciting role at that point in time. And again, got me exposure to a new company because I was you know, I'd, I'd always been Hilton at that point. So I was, my blood was blue. And then obviously I'd, I'd moved over to the IHG. So it was good to get exposed to a different company, how they operate. Does that mean your blood was orange? Yeah, it, it changed, changed your orange when I moved <laughs> to IHG, yeah. I had a five-year stint at Intercon. I was I was doing the ops support role for, for 12 months. Then I was the ops manager over in Rochester down in Kent for about three years. And then I ended up doing 15 months at the Olympic Park. I was the hotel manager for the for the new opening of the Holiday Inn at, on the Olympic Park. So wow. I started there in the early 2020, did the pre-opening. We hosted the IHG Global Sales and Marketing Conference on the second day of opening. So we had about, I don't know, three or 400 sales and marketing directors come for the annual conference at the hotel on day two and then we we were the hq for ihg for the olympics as well so that was a very very busy six to eight weeks running at you know 100 105 percent occupancy and yeah we were knocking out maybe anything between 500 to 1000 meals a day as well so it was a right. massively complex and busy operation how do you run at 105% occupancy yeah you double double sell the rooms so 
we were having, you know, athletes having rest periods. You had someone that was staying in there in the morning and then you changed the room and someone checked in in the evening. So right, okay. it was... Um, yeah, full on. Yeah, very full on. Yeah, like multiple changeover of rooms as well. But yeah, that was uh, that was a really, really fun project. And I think, you know, when, when you're you're living in the country that's hosting the Olympics. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I felt very privileged to have, to have been appointed the hotel manager for that property and to have done the opening and then ran, ran that property for, for 15 months. It was yeah, really, really, really good period of, of hotels at that point in time. Yeah. I came to a point then that I felt like it was, I don't know, not losing my passion, but, I thought there must be more to hospitality. You know, I'd worked for probably two of the biggest, two of the biggest players in, in, in the hotel world. I don't know, it all became a little bit samey to me. So I actively then sort of went out to my network and started speaking to recruiters and I just said, look, I, I want something different. I want something very, you know, sort of very left field outside of, of what I've done previously. And I ended up going to the Hoxton in Shoreditch as the director of operations there, working with a really, really good GM, a guy called Timothy Griffin. And, you know, the Hoxton concept, I'm sure many people know, it's, it was one of the sort of first, I suppose you call it like a non-hotel or one of the first disruptors in, in you know, yep. in the hotel world. Originally founded by Sinclair Beecham and, you know, his mindset for, creating the Hoxton concept initially was he removed everything that annoyed him from when he stayed in normal hotels and that's that's how he came up with the concept so you know we had some really unique things that we did that probably no other operators had you know we used to have a a 60 second check-in so everyone had to be checked in in within sort of 60 seconds you know we didn't have reg cards we didn't have the sort of traditional bed and breakfast package it was all room only right we did a like a breakfast bag which was included in your rate on the door the next morning where you got a banana and a yogurt pot and an orange juice so for the, the sort of busy london goer that needs to get out the door and out for work you could just take your bag with you to the office or on the tube and at least you've you've got something to eat but then we did have the restaurant downstairs that people could use but it was a very different approach to, to hospitality. You know, the culture of the business was very different. The hotel when I joined was was one hotel as well. So it was it was almost like working for a startup. It felt very startup-y. There was no yeah. red tape or hoops to jump through when you wanted to change things within the operation. That's really interesting because the um, I, I suppose the thing about that is is that that's actually properly analysing the guest journey. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I suppose the 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 things like registration cards and things like that, you know, probably most people don't enjoy that element of check-in. It's like, can I just get my room now, please? Yeah. Rather than telling you the registration number on my car. Yeah. Or whatever. It was. It's. It's funny, isn't it? And actually, all the details we used to. It used to be logged in the computer system anyway. So you know, part yeah. of the booking process you've already asked the guest for that information so then why do you want why do you need to reconfirm it because are you insinuating that the guest has lied originally which just yeah. seems odd and also you know when someone checks into his hotel they want to get to their room they want don't want to have a chat necessarily but if they do want to have a chat then the guys you know at the front desk were more than willing to do that but the desk was manned 24 7 and you know the, the sort of final line of checking at the Hoxton was, you know, we're here, we're here all day, every day. Just give us a shout if you need anything, or you 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 want to be directed anywhere. So the the concept itself was, you know, revolutionary at the time, and uh, I absolutely loved my time at the Hoxton. It was great. I joined just after Sinclair had actually sold it to to Sharan, Patricia, and Ennismore at the time. So. It was going through a bit of a transitional phase at that point. Sharan wanted to uh, refurbish the hotel and also, you know, wanted to grow the brand. So it was a really interesting time seeing the Hoxton as it was from when Sinclair's, you know, when he first created the product and then sort of changing it and evolving it to, to what the Hoxton is now. And I did that for three years. I went through a full bedroom refurbishment, a full uh, lobby refurbishment. 
and meeting rooms along with you know running the day-to-day operations for, for Timothy you know and we were operating still when we were doing the refurbishment at you know 85% occupancy as well so a massive logistical challenge to you know keep that 85% of guests happy mm. and trying to refurbish these sections of bedrooms and just keeping that flow happening was a huge I was I was very very lucky that I had a, a really good team around me to support me and a, a very very supportive GM at the time so yeah quite an exciting time I would imagine to be involved with something that that's so innovative really and and as you said just dis- disrupting yeah I, I, and I, th- I think from from when I was you know at that point at the uh, over in Stratford and you know I had that thought of you know, I, I want something that's completely off piece. I want to try something completely new. You know, th- thankfully, the Hopton ticked those boxes for me and it it gave me exposure to a new world of hospitality. I felt like I'd been exposed to this new startup world. And that sort of led me to go into like the, the sort of workspace slash co-working. That's, that's when I then made the transition because the Hopton lobby, it was a hub of co-working basically i mean every day you'd walk into the you know the lobby in in shoreditch and there would be a minimum of 20 macs open with you know all the the shoreditch crew hanging out yeah super trendy people tattoos trainers jeans t-shirts you know just super casual and they were all running their own businesses from the Hoxton lobby. Yeah. And I just found it fascinating. You know, you'd walk around, you'd talk to people, you know, there'd be a guy running his own creative agency. We used to have a guy that used to travel in from Bristol who um, was a tailor and he used to do people's fittings in the lobby and measure them up. And funny enough, he ended up doing my wedding suit, which is just, <laughs> you know, it's strange how all this stuff works out, isn't it? Yeah. But, you know, you've got this incredible community operating from a hotel lobby and I was like it's just fascinating you know we've got people sleeping upstairs you've got meetings happening in the back you've got a a really buzzy restaurant and then the bar lounge breakout space all in the front of the building is this hub of excitement minds business all all amalgamating together and it, it was really nice to see just how incredible and all the energy that used to come that in the lobby that was created by all these people yeah the energy breeds doesn't it i mean your your guests are arriving into a hub of activity and already they're energized i've operated from a couple of the hoxton lobbies in my the lifetime of having my own business to to have meetings or to just you know get my head down and crack on Mm. it's infectious it's it really is infectious and i think equally from a hospitality perspective Actually, I just kind of really love the idea that they just say, do you know, whatever you want to come and do in our space, obviously within reason, come and do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll, we'll happily serve you coffee. We'll happily, you know, get you a, a beer if that's what you want. And we don't really care why you're here, but just come and enjoy the space. You know, I'm a big believer that the Hoxton was the, the, one of the first to do that. And, you know, you've seen, you know, the likes of the Ace Hotel down in Shoreditch and, you know, they've replicated that sort of like open lobby concept. You know, Citizen M do a similar thing, don't they? They've got this very, very big sort of open lobby, people sitting, working. And it's, you know, it was was a huge selling point because the the Hoxton became a destination at that point. You know, it was, it was buzzing. You know, you would, you would turn up anything from Wednesday onwards, evening, you know, Mondays and Tuesdays were still busy, but not to the same level. But Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, from four o'clock onwards, you'd, you'd have this really buzzy vibe in the day anyway, where all these people are working, there's lots of conversation happening. But at four o'clock, it was a completely different energy. You know, you're in the middle of Shoreditch. At that point, Shoreditch was what I would refer to as it's still still pretty cool. Yeah. And not everyone had jumped into Shoreditch and just made a bit of a commercial play because they thought it was cool. And I think it's probably lost it a little bit of its uniqueness now and its trendiness. I think it's probably just a little bit overdone. But at that mm. point in time, it was great. And like I said, from four o'clock, the energy just went up a level. You know, beers would come out, the clanging of glasses, the volume of music we'd naturally just put up anyway. But then conversations became louder and 
there's a bit more excitement as well. So it was, um, yeah. it was a fantastic place to work. You know, when you've got a buzzy lobby like that with so much energy in it, it doesn't necessarily feel like working because you're just walking around, you're talking to people, you might buy someone a drink, they might buy you a drink. So it's, it's you know, it's yeah. a really, really nice place to work and um, a fantastic concept. Proper hospitality. It is. And yeah. it's it, hospitality should be supernatural, right? It shouldn't be yeah. forced. It shouldn't be. There shouldn't be a book on how to be hospitable. Yep. It should it should always just come from the heart. Well, I mean, how many hotels do you drop into around the world where during the day the communal spaces are dead? Mm. Because they, maybe they've just dictated that, no, this space is going to be used purely for this and this space is going to be used purely for this. Whereas if you have a really fluid mentality towards that and you you'll have that hospitality at heart which is just just come into our space welcome hmm. we, we want you here we don't uh, as i say we don't care what you what you do in the space and i say that obviously with the caveat of within reason no okay you're 100 right you know the the whole thought process around the hoxton lobby was you know we're part of the neighborhood so you know treat it like almost like your home you know there's there's free wi-fi there's coffee if you want it you know there's we always gave free water as well. So actually some people would just sit and drink water. They wouldn't actually spend a single penny. Right. And some people would go, you know, a typical hotelier, or if I was in my Hilton IHG days, they'd be like, no, you can't sit here. You've got, you've got to at least buy a coffee and you have to buy one pretty much every hour to almost pay for your seat. Yeah. I think that's how it was. It was pretty much, you know, viewed that you were paying for your seat. We would, you know, we'd give them free, free water. And some of them wouldn't even buy a coffee, but what they would contribute to atmosphere and vibe, you can't buy that, I don't think. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to create that atmosphere in a space. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, really, really good. But what, what that did open my eyes to was co-working and that sort of community, those, that hub of, of working atmosphere. And strangely enough, I then got approached about going to launch workspace for what is now labs. At the, at the time when I joined them, they were called Interchange, but they're, they're now formed as labs. And labs have they're probably about six or seven locations. But I went over to Camden at the beginning of 2016 and, and helped them launch their first two co-working products uh, over on Camden Market. So I think that was where you and I connected first, in fact. It was. Yeah. yeah. We were sitting in the Triangle building overlooking yep. Camden Market. I remember it well. Yeah, very nice. It was a lovely space. Yeah, that was really good. I worked for a company. Um, they're called Labtech. They're actually the owners of Camden Market. And they had, they'd obviously seen this boom in, in the co-working industry, the likes of sort of WeWork coming on board. And there was a few smaller other players. Obviously, IWG and Regis were, were already around at the time with their more sort of traditional shared office so the you know the owner of, of lab tech at the time really wanted to utilize some of the some of the real estate that they had in camden for for this co-working concept that they had so i went in there and built a, a team to operate the, the two buildings you know i was responsible for sales marketing ops and we we launched two two sites it was about circa 70,000 square feet. One was about 20,000. The other one was about 50,000 over a period of about eight or nine weeks. And we, we were home to about six, 700 members. But that was, I really enjoyed, that was my first taste of, of co-working. And there was no real formula. There, there was no concept, so to speak. They knew they wanted to do co-working, but everything around around it, you know, what does... What does the member journey look like? All the different products, you know, I had pretty much license to create all that. So I had, you know, it was it was great to have that creative license yeah. to or to create a concept. And you know, I was there for for, for twelve months. You know, got both spaces up and running, and uh, you know, got them up to eighty five percent occupancy, ninety percent occupancy by the time I'd left. But it was it was great to create uh, a new product to market and to see that flourish you know when i was with them it was two and now they've grown to you know six eight sites so you know that that concept has just grown and grown and grown and become become more successful i suppose um as well you that you get it's almost like an uh, amalgamation of 
of a couple of industries because maybe historically hospitality hadn't been considered as part of the overall package in a in an office slash co-working space but actually the two go hand in hand yeah and when I when I initially made the switch you know I'd been in hotels for almost like 15 years probably mm. you know your, your family and friends turn around to you and they're like you know at that point in time what is this co-working that you do you know what, what is it it's you know yeah. you, people question you I mean, you can imagine my dad, can't you? You're a through and through hotelier, and then I'm telling him I'm doing co-working. But <laughs> it, it, in, in my eyes, I I just switched beds for desks. You know, the right. the yeah. fundamentals of what I was doing is is, if anything, identical. The relationships are a lot stronger with your guests or slash members or customer, what however you want to refer to them. But you know, the longevity of that relationship is far stronger in in uh, co-working. Mm. because they're there for a lot longer and you see them more often and you know you 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 grow these you know friendships almost with them because they're there day day to day they're trying to grow their business you know you can you can try and help them with their business as well give them direction or your thoughts or just a bit of feedback so you know as an industry i i really really enjoy it i think it's it's a really fantastic industry to work in because I still get to do the hospitality bit, yeah. But from a lifestyle perspective, I'm not doing the city hours that I was when I was in hotels, you know. And with a, a young, a young family, you know, that ticks a lot of boxes. Yeah. The incredible thing about that is, if nothing else, it demonstrates just how quickly things move on, right? I mean, when you and I met in that space in Camden, it was a kind of new and shiny thing, co-working. You know, you talk to somebody, and your dad's a probably a case in point what even is that mm. but five years on and everybody knows what it is yeah you know it's 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 everywhere well not everywhere but you know what i mean it's it's a common thing now it's remarkable yeah it's yeah, you're right and you know there's a lot of people have seen the value in it as well you know there's there's hotel operators now looking to change their lobby concepts into you know, mini co-working hubs or partner mm. with co-working operators to to manage that space for them yeah, you know, numerous landlords now all want to do an element of shared workspace slash co-working because it just activates the space. Yeah, you know, to have this hub of activity and excitement and community, you know, it can really activate a building like you know back like we were talking about the Hoxton lobby. It's 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 yeah, I, I really really love the industry. It's just a fantastic place to to be working. Yeah. So from Interchange, as it was known as then, where where did you head next? So then I, yeah, I mean, I had a very short stint at Virgin after I left Labs. Yeah, I mean, the, the Labs was, I could I could see that there was probably wasn't going to be any longevity in, in the Labs project, just for the people I was working for, to be honest. Right. So, I, I you know, I decided to leave and got a family, need to pay the mortgage. So went and did a very short stint at Virgin, which was short period of time for six months so running running the site over in kensington just off kensington high street so i did that for six months like i said it was a really really short period of time almost like a bit of a stopgap really to be honest and then i i was i've moved to brighton when i was 17 i'd lived here for before moving to london i'd been here for about 10 to 12 years and my wife is is from this way and when we'd moved, made the move to London, we always said when we wanted to start a family that we'd look to move back to Brighton. Yeah. So strangely enough, at that point in time, we had just fell pregnant with our, with our first and an opportunity came up in Brighton to work with Harbour Hotels. And they were a new, uh, a new hotel company opening in, in Brighton. So, you know, I thought, you know, I'm going to go and speak to these guys because one, it means that we can make that move to Brighton. Now we're, we're going to start a family. You know, they were a, a new brand, very sort of like coastal vibe, sort of like a bit of a hybrid between like the pig and like Sarah house. Yeah. Quite quirky, got a luxury spa. So I was like, actually this, this could, you know, this could tick a lot of boxes to get us into Brighton. So when I met with those guys, got appointed GM 
and yeah helped finish the refurbishment it was a, an existing property that they'd, they'd purchased and they'd started the refurb on it so I came in at the back end of the refurb and saw the projects finish and then yeah helped launch the the harbour product into Brighton so we had 79 bedrooms we had a destination restaurant overlooking the sea nice we had a really really cute spa which went into the tunnels under the road leading out onto the beach as well so it was you know a really really nice uh regency property right on the seafront and it was you know i'm probably a little bit biased but i think it was by far the best hotel in brighton at that point in time you know there was the hilton that i'd worked at for many years as it was a big corporate property but there was no there was no real sort of good quality sort of boutique property at that point in time and i, I think harbour had seen an opportunity there yeah so i i ran that for uh 12 months you know got the brand really uh into the brighton market used my contact list from from previous to uh you know become part part of brighton because you know Brighton as a city, it's very clicky. So you need to, you need to know the right people, and yeah, re- really enjoyed my time there. We won Hotel of the Year for the Brighton Hotel Awards as well. So we we had a really good product, worked with a really really good team. But I realised when I was there that actually my heart wasn't in hotels, and I'd really really enjoyed co working when I'd worked for the, on the labs project. Yeah. So. I decided then I'd take it. My son was born in the September, so I finished up there in 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 the January. Uh, made it made a decision to you know wrap things up. Um, had a little bit of time at home. Spent some time with my son after he'd just been born, which was really really nice. And I'm, I'm really lucky that I could I could have the opportunity to do that because I think a lot of parents, when you are in 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 that sort of mill of work work work. You do miss out on that real quality time with your, with your kids, especially when they're a lot younger. For sure, yeah. And funny enough, our Grace, our, our second, it just coincided that she was born in November. So actually this whole corona lockdown piece, I've managed to almost do the same period of time with her as well. So right. very lucky, very lucky to have done that. Yeah. And then on the, on the back of Harbour, I obviously took a, a little bit of a break, but then got approached to go and help launch the uh, ministry product for the, the guys that ran the Ministry of Sound. Yep. Again, they wanted to get into the co-working uh, industry. They'd been massively successful having a nightclub for the best part of 25 years. You know, probably the most famous nightclub in probably, well, definitely in the UK, if not in the world. Yeah. And, you know, they wanted to launch a co-working space, so... They'd seen my CV and they wanted to have a chat. So I went in there on a short term just to go and launch the uh, launch the concept there for them. So I joined in the April, got products launched and open and, and left in the September. But they, they'd taken over a massive Victorian print works just down in Elephant and Castle. And they had got 50,000 square feet. And it was, I suppose it was a hybrid of a co-working space. They had shared office space. They had a, a bar and restaurant on the ground floor. There was a cinema in the basement. There was a, a recording studio and there's also a, a gym as well. So it was, you know, it was a really uh, different product. So they've got this like members club, ground floor and basement, but then also had this co-working hub sitting above it as well in this massive Victorian print work. So yeah. it was a really unique concept. I remember you you were very kind enough to give me a a little tour mm. of all the spaces so it was uh, it was quite something for sure yeah it was you know i think aesthetically as a as a property it's probably one of the most beautiful ones that i've done i mean you know you've got the the old wooden floors have been kept and they've just been sanded back you know there'd there'd been a huge amount of thought that had gone into the design of that property and it was, you know, it's still massively successful today, buzzing away. You know, they've got 800 members in uh, in that space. Right. It's, um, yeah, really, 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 really nice place to be. You know, I, I, I did that short stint at the ministry and there'd, there'd been conversations between uh, Andrew and Gabby, who are the two co-founders for Huckletree, in, in that summer. Huckletree had 
it was four spaces at that point in time, but Gabby and Andrew had got aspirations to massively accelerate the growth of the business. Yeah. And I'd met them in my labs days and we'd always stayed in touch, you know, there'd be the odd text here and there, or you'd phone each other up or, you know, meet for a beer if I was ever in London. And we would, we'd started to have conversations about me joining Huckletree to help, help do this growth uh, that Andrew and Gabby were really aspiring to do within Huckletree. So when I, when I left the ministry, I then joined Gabby and Andrew in the January. And as you said, with my very elaborate title of expansion director, Brilliant. I, uh, <laughs> I joined Huckletree and I've been there for, for almost 18 months now, which seems very strange because it only seems like yesterday that I joined them. Right. But, um, it's been a, a very busy 18 months, but I can quite safely say I think it's probably been the most enjoyable 18 months of my entire career. Well, I mean that that's brilliant because it, it means that you've kind of you know, you found your home for now. Yeah. And um, well, that, that also when you do that means that you you can really crack on and and do some great work. Yeah, I think you're right. When you I, I like the, the term home, it does feel like home. My dad always used to say to me, if you if you do what you love, then you'll never have to work a day in your life. And yeah, didn't really understand it or really believe it when he used to say it when I was younger. And I think now I've worked for Huckletree. Yes, you know, I'm commuting to London and it, you know, it's very fast paced. I've got two young kids and it's it's tiring. But I get so much satisfaction of what I do for a living and uh, seeing a business grow and working with people that care and who are very like minded to you. It does. It does feel like that. I mean, there are days where you definitely know that you've worked, you've done a day's work. But yeah. all in all, I feel like you, you, you know there there is a lot of sentiment to that saying. I think I'm guessing that a lot of that has to do with the people that you work with, because if you've got 100%. a great 100%. idea, you know, even if you're, it's exciting to join a company that's ex, that's expanding. But if you're not working with people that you respect and they respect you, and there's a there's a two way flow in that that respect then it's 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 usually lost at some point i think it's a cultural thing you know yeah uh, one thing i learned uh, one of the big takeaways from from the hoxton days you know and i always look very fondly on those days but the culture in the business at the hoxton was fantastic you know it was very people focused they didn't do the typical and i think this is obviously from sinclair days they didn't do the, the 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 typical benefits program that you would normally get off the shelf in a in a big corporate it had been really well thought out and actually what would we like as employees what would you like to get gabby and andrew have that very similar mindset it's all about okay what what do we give to our employees to make sure they're happy and we're looking after them. You know, we have mental health days at, at Huckletree now where, you know, if if you don't feel like, if you don't feel yourself and you feel like you, that you need a day to, you know, reassess or have a, you know, it just works getting to you, then you, yeah. can, you can take that day and, you know, decompress and get, get yourself back on track, which, I you know, if you were to say that to somebody, in, in, a, in a larger corporate, I think I think you'd, they'd probably frown at you, or they yeah, wouldn't understand what you're talking about. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, the culture in the business is fantastic. You know, we we spend a huge amount of time recruiting the right people. My, my role there is to obviously the growth and also the manage the projects of these these new sites as and when we open them. So I've mm. done a huge amount of recruitment last year. We doubled in size from. A member base but also a footprint and revenue last year so we went from four locations to eight locations moved into new territories so we opened like you said earlier in the opening you know we've we've now got presence in manchester and oslo as well as where we already already historically had presence in london and um, dublin which we've just expanded on yeah so you know i've done a huge amount of recruitment because i've had to do basically double the, the the headcount in the business yeah um you know and that sits with you know me hr gabby have all been part of that recruitment process to actually you know when you double in size you've got to make sure you bring in the right people into the business to keep that absolutely that culture alive and i think we've we've, we've done it we've done it well i wouldn't say we've done it perfectly i think there's been there's a few things that we probably didn't get right but i think all in all we've we've 
we've done very well out of it. I don't think there's anything that exists as a as a perfect recruitment campaign. I think you're you're, no. you're dealing with humans at the end of the day, and it's I think equally in fast growth, it's even more difficult to get right because sometimes the, you know the necessity is right there in front of you, and you've you've just got to make decisions, even if something in your guts may be telling you that that's not necessarily the right call. But nevertheless, I think it speaks volumes about the 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 culture that you're developing there that you're you're coming up with your initiatives like that i mean having a kind of uh, a regroup day is a massive thing in business because mm. i mean we're all living with something which is just a bit strange in our lives at the moment with uh, the covid-19 virus and there will be days when people even who are retained in work through this will be you know there'll be the weight of the world on their shoulders and just to have a moment to go do you know what today i'm not I'm not at my best. Mm. I just need some time to regroup and and get ready to go again. Yeah, and I think I think you know, not just just knowing that you you can do that gives you a bit of comfort, I suppose. You know, yeah. knowing that it's there and you can take it if you need to is is far better than knowing that you can't, right? Yeah. Even if you don't you don't you don't utilize it or you don't need to use it. I just think the idea and the comfort knowing that it's there is just a huge, a huge thing. No, absolutely. So on the uh, the other side of this wonderful scenario that we find ourselves in at the moment, what were or are the plans going forward for the company? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're still very, very focused on, on growing the company. It's probably going to have a slightly different path to how we initially thought it was going to do when, when I joined the company last year. None, none of us have got crystal balls. We don't know what's going to happen on the back of this. Yeah. But I think there's there's definitely going to be a shift in people's working patterns and, and what that looks like. I think lockdown has definitely taught a lot of companies that you can embrace technology, you can work from home, and it shouldn't be frowned upon if you are working from home and you can still be productive. Yeah. Whereas pre-corona, I think there were still larger companies, bigger corporates that wouldn't even uh, entertain the idea of that. And I see that as a huge benefit to us as an industry where I think these big, big head offices in, in you know London, Manchester, Birmingham, the, the big cities, I think there's going to be a huge assessment going on from these big corporates now to see, say, right, do we actually need the 120,000 square feet we've got for the two and a half thousand employees that we're bringing into London every day? Mm. Can we scale that down to an office for 500? And actually, do we want to sign up for a 10-year lease now with for X amount of space? Or do we want to go and work in a shared workspace yeah. and have flexibility there? Because when's the next corona going to hit? Yeah. You know, we don't want to be... You don't want to be sitting on a 10-year lease when, you know, something so simple as a virus has sent the world into complete panic. Yeah. So I think there's been a lot of lessons learned, but I think definitely as an industry, I feel like it's going to be positive for us. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think you apply a logical brain to the problem and that usually gives you a, some sort of a solution. And I think you guys, in principle, are, are sitting in you know, a business idea that is absolutely right for the now. Mm. There'll be so many companies will be assessing their, everything that they do and, uh, and quite rightly so, you know, and it probably demonstrates that perhaps there was a lot of wastage in some certain areas. Let's make things as lean as possible so that I suppose it gives them flexibility as well. That's the, the other thing. If they all of a sudden they need to contract by 20%, then, you know, you have that in flexible contracts other than, you know, rigid ones that, as you say, are you're locked in for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I, I wish you all the very best with the, the next phase of, of that growth. I'll be uh, I'll be keeping an eye. You very kindly have uh, given me a space to conduct one of my podcast chats in, which, which was great to see it firsthand. And um, so, yeah, I wish you well with that. I think the thing that I like about, I, I guess, an organisation like yours is that it, it showcases that, there is a lot of variety of opportunity in hospitality, using it as a you know a wider focus. Because you're still, I I would guess you consider yourself as a hospitality company. Mm -hmm. You're offering hospitality to people, 
And, you know, I think the, the point that I try to get out to the wider world is that, that hospitality doesn't necessarily just mean hotels and restaurants. There's so many different elements that you could consider to be hospitality. And, and I think your your company kind of is another indication of that. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I think, you know, the term hospitality is always sat with, you know, restaurants, bars, clubs to a certain extent and hotels. And I think that, I think hospitality is, I think sometimes it's quite difficult to put industries underneath it. Um, hospitality for me, almost it's, it's, I suppose it's like in your blood, it's almost quite inherent yeah. to, to be hospitable. You know, it's something as, as, as a person has always, you know, it's been in my blood. And I think that's, that's back from, you know, the days of growing up, been exposed to hotels from quite a young age. But my, my mum and dad have always been very hospitable. You know, we've always had people over, we've always entertained. I, I can always remember from the age of probably seven or eight, maybe nine years old, I was I would always want to do the drinks when people came over. So if mum and dad were you know, doing dinner parties or anything like that, I'd always want to make the drink. Do you know, I was exactly the same. Bring them in and do the nibbles. I, I just was something about, I just always wanted to run the bar at family events, even yeah. at age seven. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily I wanted to drink the booze because that that was when I, I'd noticed when I was a little bit older, I could get away with it and no one had noticed, but yeah, 12 or 13. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I just really enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed trying to replicate what I'd seen and, uh, you know, almost put your own spin on it and, and see, see the, the, the appreciation of what you've created and the joy that that gave to that person. Yeah. It sounds weird, doesn't it? That you give someone a drink and they enjoy that drink because, at the end of the day if you poured them a glass of wine it's actually the wine it's not you but (laughs) i know what you mean to have to have done that process and given it to them i i really enjoyed that and i think that's that's why i really enjoy the hospitality industry and you know i'm not saying that i don't enjoy hotels i absolutely love hotels and i love staying in them i just feel that you know shared workspace and co-working fits better with my personality and my personal you know, my personal life goal and, and what do I want to achieve as a person and the kind of input that I want to have to on my business as well. Yeah, I think that's a massive thing, though, not to be understated at all. I, I, you know, finding your calling is is definitely it's a really powerful thing, you know, and, and, and you can't it's one of those things, I suppose, like when you're buying a house, you kind of know when you go in that, you, that it's the one for you. It's exactly the same principle around finding something that you know it, it's your your dad's old saying about if you're doing something you love you won't work a day in your life it's it's not work no and it shouldn't you know it shouldn't have to feel like work yeah so yeah I, I, you definitely don't need to to be concerned about the fact that you know it's not not hotels or or whatever you've you've found what you're supposed to be doing that's yeah that's the important thing what piece of advice would you give yourself if you were starting out in your career again be yourself yeah don't be scared and you know a lot more than you actually give yourself credit for very good that's that's deep yeah that also um also makes me think that at some point you must have been scared yeah i was i mean earlier on in my career i i i, I lacked a lot of confidence i suppose right i just I, yeah I, I suppose i you know i don't know whether or not that's when you're working for a, a larger corporate and there's there feels like there's all these layers and there's there's a very clear hierarchy. I suppose I felt quite intimidated by that, and I just it just always felt like I never really came out of myself. And then later on, you know, Hoxton and and throughout, I feel like I've really come out of my shell, and you know, I've realised actually that all of that all of that stuff is actually it's, uh, it's bullshit, isn't it? Really, I mean, yeah. everyone's a hu- every human. You know, everyone's got a head, everyone's got a heart. Yeah, we'll have to leave, live and breathe, and you know, breathe the same air. So, we, you know, we just need to. I think you just need to do the best you can, and you know, enjoy it, and, and, don't, and don't be scared because that's that's probably the worst thing is to to go to work in fear. Yeah, yeah. I think that definitely comes with a bit of maturity as well. That that kind of, you know, I do belong here, and. You know, I totally mm. deserve my space 
here and I've got a voice and, and my opinion matters. And I think a lot of that has to do with about you being in, in the right place that's for you. Yeah. Comes back to culture again. If you've got the culture that gives you everything you need to be yourself, then you know that's when sparks fly. That's when the good stuff happens. That's when you stay for long periods of time and you experience growth together. Mm. That's the holy grail, I guess. I think when you see, when you see, when you make decisions and like you, know, you make key decisions, and if you're, I suppose, if you're privileged enough to be in that position to make those decisions, and you see the what that decision has contributed positive or negative you know you can see it from both ends but it's either a learning experience or you 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 gain that confidence you go actually I know what I'm doing I you know I took a punt but actually it worked out in the end yeah and look look what it's created you know it's, yeah. it could be money it could be just a personal gain for someone but I just think yeah you're right it's, it's a maturity uh, an experience and a confidence thing that just helps form you yeah, and I think equally you kind of alluded to it there. There's always going to be a leap of faith involved. Yeah. You've got to, you know, if something is striking you as interesting, you can't, in an interview process with the best will in the world, you can't get every single detail of what that's going to look like. And you're never going to know until you go in. Mm -hmm. um, so you've always got to have that kind of uh, leap of faith, trust in the fact that you've done your own due diligence on that that company is right for you. They'll be doing the same on you, mm. and then uh, and then you know hope a little bit that you've got it right, mm. but but don't let the fact that you might not hold you back. I think that's equally as important. I think you've you've just got to put the foot forward and and step in. And I think that you know as you said, it's a confidence thing that comes with a a little bit of experience because once you're kind of used to dealing with people of kind of all levels, then I think it's, you know, you're less put out by these potential moments. Yeah, 100%. Excellent. This is fast turning into uh, a business advice, uh, careers <laughs> advice podcast. It's exactly not what it's supposed to be, but there we are. Great stuff. So if people want to get in touch with you to learn a little bit about Huckle Tree, what, what is the best method for them to do that? Yeah, I mean, they can reach out to me on email. My email is ben at huckletree.com. So very, very simple simple email. I'm on Instagram and Twitter. So you can find me at Ben Swindells on, on both handles. But yeah, drop me an email or, or drop me in line on social media. That's great. Well, thanks very much for spending some time with us today. It's been really great to get to know your, your story a little bit more detail and wish you all the very best on the other side of this thing we're going through at the moment. Great. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. I'll speak to you soon. Speak to you soon. Thanks, Phil. Cheers, Ben. Bye. Bye. And there we have it. A fascinating journey from Ben, as well as demonstrating that finding your calling can be the making of your career and personal life. Also, a big thank you to Ben for the way he handled the mispronunciation of his name. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week, so hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a follow across your favourite social channels. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.